0: Well, minister, you couldn't have chosen a very interesting Sunday to visit us because of the topic we're going to cover. You know, um, we, we are doing a family seminar in November. This year, we shifted it to December. And uh, so I promised people we're going to talk about biblical sexuality. And some of you wouldn't let me off the hook. You know, we talked about everything, and then people started sending SMSs and and WhatsApps. I said, Bishop, when are we going to talk about sex? I said, Hey, we're in church, we're (laughs) not. Even on tweets, people were tweeting and they were asking me to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it, all right? So, you know, if you want to act like you don't know what we're talking about, let's set the record straight, right? You wouldn't be here today if it wasn't because somebody had sex with somebody, all right? So let's just, let's just get that out of the way once and for all, all right? And let's just chill and talk about it. But what does the Bible say about sex? Can we learn anything from it? I believe this is an important topic because, you know, One of the things I'm finding very interesting with our world today, much as we live in a time of great enlightenment, at the same time there is so much of fundamental knowledge that is not known. Not too many people know what the Bible says about sexuality. I'm going to read scriptures that some of you are going to surprise you that it's in the Bible all along. And it's important for us to do that so that we redeem the sexual act. It's not just left for other people who don't serve God and then the Christians are these miserable people who are having terrible sexual lives. You see now, you're not even saying amen. You see now, you see, you can almost see. And so I want to read Hebrews 13 as my main text. We'll keep it clean, I promise you, even though it's PG-13, all right? (laughs) But we'll keep it clean, but we'll keep, keep it factual and biblical. Hebrews 13 verse 4 reads, Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So God says marriage is honorable. And he says the marriage bed is honorable. That is not just a term you're talking about the silly posturpedic that you're sleeping on. It's actually talking about the sexual act. So the sexual act within a marriage covenant, God says is undefiled, and God says it's sacred. And therefore the Bible, in other words, says the only act, the only sexual act that God recognizes as sacred, holy and right, is to be practiced within a marriage between a man and a woman and within marital boundaries. The message Bible reads as follows: Honor marriage. If you're a married person, you need to honor your marriage. Honor that covenant. Oh, I thought I'd get a better amen. I see some people are going to get married. You must honor your marriage. All right, okay, yeah, you're getting first advice. You honor your marriage. You see, you see, you're smiling today. I want you to see you smiling all the time. You're right. You got to honor marriage. Honor your wife. Honor your husband. Honor marriage. And then it says, and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy. That's the message Bible between wife and husband. God calls it holy. God calls it sacred. Isn't it strange that we don't ever imagine to put the, 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 the name of God and sex and holiness all in one sentence? You know, that's just not how people think. They just don't ever think sex can be holy and God can be involved in sex and God can say sex is sacred. And so don't talk about sex, particularly in church. Then it says, God draws a firm line against your casual. Give your neighbor a handkerchief to wipe off the redness from their face because they are so. (laughs) See, many people have a wrong belief about sex. They believe that God doesn't want us to have sex. Thank you for that amen. (laughs) I need more amens this morning. And the reason people believe that sex is wrong is because sex is enjoyable. I know you want to look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about and you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) They think God doesn't want us to have fun. Is it that God is against pleasure? Is God against sex? So what has happened is that Satan's most basic lies is that godliness or living for God can never ever result in a happy life. And so we portray a picture of godliness and holiness as miserable people. And the more holy people are the more they look. <laughs> How many of you are sitting next to a moonwa person right now? Just look at them and say, I <laughs> But opposite to popular belief, godliness is a joy. And when people follow God's way of living, they show they trust him, and they believe that following him is the best life possible. Let me tell you, God knows better. I'm telling you, our world comes up with so many things that it says, and they have to retract what they said. And there was a time when they said, you mustn't eat any fat from animals. You, know, you must shave off all the fat from animals and eat lean meat. And then a few years later, they say, no, 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 no. That fat is necessary. You must eat the fat. And God just gave you the, the animal with the fat and all. Why don't you eat the whole thing just like God told you to eat the whole thing? <laughs> you know, even experts are getting it wrong. I mean, Hillary Clinton, her heart is bleeding right now. Because the specialist told her something that never happened. One of, our, uh, one of our pastors who used to be with us, Pastor Clebisa, Duaba, years ago, he says he he, he found a newspaper article, you know, a very old newspaper article. He said it was so old, he didn't know which newspaper it came from. He didn't know what date that newspaper was, but that article, in that article, they were saying chocolate is good for you. He said, well, after I read the article, I ran straight to the shop and bought a big bar of chocolate, and I ate it quickly before another article says chocolate is not good for you. You know, but you know, this is the world that we live in. So our main text simply summarizes God's command and God's attitude, which is two things. Sex is great. It's to be enjoyed. It's a sacred act between a husband and a wife. And God says, whatever you do as husband and wife, the marriage bed is honorable. Whatever you do, it's up to you. Every day, up to you. Where you want to go, up to you. Hmm? How you want to do it? Up to you. I don't get in there. It's up to you. You want to swing from the chandeliers? Go for it. Up to you. It's all right. <laughs> and then God says, outside the framework of marriage, sex is a sin. See, we're living in a sex craze world in a time when sex is made a free-for-all activity without any form of boundaries whatsoever. And so, you know, even when products are sold, sex is used to sell anything from toothpaste to motorcars, And it's presented as something that can be entered into without any accountability to God, without any love, without any marriage, no values and no commitment. Yes, we have a right to our bodies. We have a right to do what we want to do. I'll give us that. But you know, at the end of it all, we, we, we end up being disappointed with what has happened in our life. It's true, of course, that the sexual urge is one of the strongest feelings that human beings get to experience. Research shows that there are certain emotions that are the strongest. Hate is one of them. Fear is one of them. Love is one of them. Passion is one of them. That's where the sexual urge comes in. So the human sexual response, therefore, is a complex combination of things. It's not just a physical act, but it's a combination of spiritual things, social things, has to do with hormonal issues, psychological issues, physiological issues, and all these factors. That if they are poorly understood, it leads to a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And so what plays a role in our approach to sexuality... And our practice is, number one, first of all, our religious beliefs. If you are not taught from a biblical standpoint that sex is good in marriage and that you ought to enjoy it, then people get into marriage and, you know, it's almost like, you know, there's nothing to enjoy. So it looks like everybody who's having fun is everybody who's not married, who's out there, who's doing it illegally. and, And all the married people, you know, kind of thing. And so we are afraid to even talk about it in church. We don't even talk about it. We refer to it in in symbolism. We don't just lay out the facts and talk about it. I'm going to show you how the Bible talks about sex. Plain, plain, clear. Some of you, you'll blush, you know, I'm going to read it for you. (laughs) So our religious beliefs form that. What about family values? What about upbringing? You know, it's a sad thing to see children sometimes are brought up within a family context. Or a family setup which is not the best. He has this two-year-old, three-year-old raised in a home which is a tavern. And nothing wrong with what people want to do. But the sad thing is people come to this tavern, they drink, and they start doing all kinds of things in front of this two-year-old. Huh? And when these children grow, get to be about 11, 12 years, these guys, when they're drunk, they start handling this young girl. So your grows up with an image of sex and sexuality that is totally warped. And this is why then, when we get married, we take all these beliefs into our marriage. And we act out all these beliefs. What about societal issues? Sometimes there's social pressure for people to conform. You know, in our world, there's always been a saying that everybody's doing it. And I beg to differ with that. I beg to differ with that. And some of you young people, you may think that some of us in our time, we never had pressure to conform. You think now, you know, people say, no, that was then, this is now. When I was doing my trick, 1979, when I was doing my trick, I was pressured by an elderly lady who came after me. Yeah, she wanted me. <laughs> and she, she made, she made, she, no, 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 she didn't make any... She didn't leave anything to the imagination. I used to, you know, walk to school. You know, I used to attend Skandantwana. So I'd walk past the school and I'd walk past this home where she lived and walk to school. Every day, guys. Every day. Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Ha! Morning, afternoon. Ha! I remember the one day she came after me. I ran for my life. <laughs> ha! Yo! Ha! Eh, eh. But in all of us, we will be pressured to conform. It's it's up to you the values you have. And don't don't give in to to societal pressure that everybody's doing it. And all of these, they affect our attitude. And so the sexual drive being the most powerful causes all all kinds of challenges. So it handled in excess will lead to hypersexuality. What we see in our world today. Sex crimes sexual addictions, persistent use of pornography, and such practices. There's an article in the newspaper that was released on the 11th of, uh, the 14th of last month, the South African Council of Educators. It painted a bleak picture of the incidences of sexual offenses committed by educators in schools in the country. There's a journalist who received a report that in the year 2016, there had been so many cases that have been reported. By November, there were about 50 cases of sexual offenses that had been reported, and these offenses were committed by teachers. Even some of our teachers, instead of being parents to our kids, they are seeing a in our children. I mean, 14-year-old, 16-year-old, come on. 11-year-old, come on now. But that's all because our world is swimming in a sea of sexual deviance. Another article released in August the 29th, it says four teachers had been suspended in KZN schools where they allegedly filmed themselves having sex with pupils. Yeah. A report sometime this month said South Africa has the biggest and most high profile of HIV epidemic in the world. Now, we know HIV doesn't only come, sometimes people are abused and all of that. But, you know, those of us who work in these areas, we all know that it's all because people on their own engage in, in sex. On their own. And people don't care to exercise any form of caution whatsoever. And so it's estimated that we have 7 million people in our country living with HIV AIDS. And that in this year alone, there's there's about 380,000 new infections. And about 180,000 South Africans died from AIDS-related illnesses. It's a crisis. Our country, Basalana, we are investing now and spending more than 1.5 billion rands annually on HIV AIDS programs. And the challenge thing, and for me as a leader, I have to say, we've got to have a different conversation. The challenging thing is, you know, we're not arresting this thing. We're not reducing it. So so, so We don't want to talk about it, see? We as churches, we don't want to empower people. If you say people don't, how do we empower them? We read in our newspapers every day, cases of rape, teenage pregnancies, incest, sodomy, swinging, All kinds of practices. And certainly, even some Christian people give themselves to these ungodly practices. God is not necessarily expecting perfection out of us. We all make mistakes. But it is when we brazenly violate the principles of God's word and think nothing will come of it. It becomes a sad thing when we as men of God are caught with our pants down and instead of repenting, we are celebrated by our congregants. We're not saying people should boot us out. There should be mercy. But we should be an example as well. You don't like my sermon, do you? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to understand that when we choose to follow God, we choose a path that is less traveled. Of course, we shouldn't come with a holier than thou attitude. We shouldn't be condescending and looking down upon people. We shouldn't be doing that. But we should make a choice to live in a certain way. And every one of us, our beliefs influence our perception of sexuality. All of us, we have a lens that we use, and it influences our belief system about sex. There are several lenses I want to talk about. Number one is the pleasure lens. The pleasure lens sees sexual, the sexual activity as something that is fun, and of course it is fun, and it should be fun. But this lens sees this act of sex as something that is fun and satisfying without love, without commitment, without marriage. And so in this instance, the sexual activity is done to satisfy a personal desire. And so this approach is a selfish, me-focused approach. This is what leads people to abusing people, raping people, because they'll think about themselves. And in fact, very often, rape is not even about sexuality. It's about hate and all kinds of other things. The other lens is the power lens where sex is used on another person as a sexual object. Using sex to get attention or control. It was a set for me when I was working in some area in the Limpopo area. Right in the rural areas. My heart was so broken. See all these kids, you know. 12 years, 13 years, walking around pregnant, you know. And some of them are well, the lights are not on. Just an innocent child. And what happened? It's a guy of my age huh? drives there with their huh? and a Mercedes Benz and meets this desperate child who wants funding for school and he uses his power. Yeah. To have a one night stand with this poor child. And then after she's pregnant, the guy's gone. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace, people. If anything, we should be looked at as father figures. But you know, today it's 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 difficult. And I don't mind when I see young people not trusting us. I understand. Some of them when you trust their hand, they <laughs> you understand, but it's it's all when sex is used as a power lens, it's it's a power play, and this leads to the objectifying of women where women are looked at as sex objects. And we men must repent of that. And all the men said, Amen. <laughs> women are human beings just like us. They have dreams as well. They've got ability from God. They're capable. They lead. And when we meet them, we should meet them as human beings, not as a sex object. But some of the men, their mind is so full of sex that's when they just see a woman passing. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope he's not talking about you. <laughs> the other lens is the romance lens. These are feelings that are driven by what we call eros, the erotic love. And this is fine. Nothing wrong with it, except that when it's used to hurt somebody, it ends up in breakup, rejection, heartache. And this is what the media tries to portray. When we watch all our soap operas and other kinds of movies, you see couples having a hot argument. And instead of sitting and resolving, then they start kissing and going to bed with each other. Now, you know when you are married, that is just a movie. (laughs) In fact, as a result of the argument, you may not have anything coming your way that night. (laughs) I've got some people in the front who are laughing. Keep on laughing, my brother. I just (laughs) love And so you see two people madly in love with each other and they think that giving in to the sexual demands will keep the relationship not knowing that you you may be another project on the way yeah i'm telling you i'm telling you people i you, i grew up like everybody I oh la It's a sad thing. That the very guy who was promising you heaven and earth, and of course I know women also have a right to explore as much as they want. That's fine. That's what the world says. But the reality of it is at the end of the road for all those people, it's heartache, rejection, all kinds of complexities. We we pastors, we talk to people, Basalana, we know what goes on. We can put on a facade and, and, and impress everybody. <laughs> God, I'm cool. But my goodness, when, when push comes to shove, there's a lot of broken lives on the way. But there's also the procreation lens where sex is lo- looked as as to create life and obey God's commandment. That's fine. Being fruitful and multiplying. But there's also the commitment and the bonding lens where the sexual activity bonds a man and a woman together so the sexual activity by us is not just a physical act it's an emotional act a psychological act a spiritual act and it impacts on people around us families and friends it impacts on the community we live in so when sexuality is practiced in a marriage context all these lenses come together now what does God have to do with sex well, many people believe God doesn't want us to have sex because, you know, it's enjoyable and, you know, God doesn't want us to have sex because, you know, it's pleasurable and, and, you know, it's only the people who don't serve God and all of that. But I wanted you to know that godliness is a joy. And when we follow God's way of living, it shows us we trust him. First of all, we need to understand that God is not against sex because, number one, he created us as sexual beings. Yes, God created us the way we are. So therefore, having sexual thoughts and sexual desires is not necessarily wrong. God made us sexual beings and we cannot escape sexual feelings and sexual thoughts. Well, 1 Corinthians 7 shows us that there are certain people who have a special gift from God to be celibate. And these are people who don't involve themselves in sexual relations. Some of them don't even have the desire. The Lord bless them, but for the rest of us. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not saying in a bad way. I'm just saying in a true way. For the rest of us, we have to grapple with this matter. You have to grapple with this matter. So for everyone else, God's plan is marriage and for that sexual gift that he created to be used and explored within marriage boundaries. There's another s is to believe that, is to believe sex but reject God. In other words, people engage in sex, but they don't do it God's way. People act this way, and they have sex when they desire to have sex. They just do whatever they want. This only works temporarily, and in the long run, it has problems. Why? Because God really designed sexuality to be explored within a lifelong marriage of one man and one woman with a supporting family, the church, and the community. And so both extremes have a real problem. So we need ourselves to locate ourselves where God is. Now let's explore what the Bible says, okay? Number one, God made us to enjoy relationships. God created us as relational beings. Watch this, Pastor We were not here all along. God created us and put us on the earth. So remember that, we were not here. God has always been here. And so when God created us, he built within us the need to to have trust, honesty, and love. And he put us into this world and we see through Adam and Eve that God made, male and female, he creates them. He puts them in the garden. And so the first man and the first woman, they are the perfect match for each other. I mean, we can imagine, here they are, so beautiful. So good that when Adam looks at his wife, Eve, he becomes prophetic. Yeah! Read it. Read it. Remember, Adam didn't have a mother or a father. He was never cre- he was never born. He was created. But when he saw Eve, the brother starts being prophetic. He says, for this reason shall a man leave his father and his mother. Hey! I don't know if he was a major prophet or a minor prophet. So you'll understand, ladies, when we see you, we become prophetic as well. When we see you, no, don't worry about the guy who's sitting next to you who's trying to act like he doesn't know what I'm talking about, but he knows. So here are the two in the Garden of Eden, completely comfortable with each other, happy with one another, knowing they're made for each other. They enjoyed one another. Here they are, they are loving one another, perfectly attracted by one another. And God says, "Hey." Have sex. No, this is before the sin, by the way. You know, when I was young, they used to tell us, no, the sin that Adam and Eve created was sex. It wasn't. God says, have sex. You have the whole garden, do whatever, climb on trees, whatever, lawn, anything, just go for it. And the Bible says, God saw that everything was good. Where did the problem start? When Adam and Eve sinned before God. These two men and women who were both naked and had no shame and they were comfortable with one another, immediately they sinned, they become uncomfortable. They start hiding, they start covering themselves, certain dysfunctions get into their relationship. They no longer enjoy the perfect relationship with God and with one another. And so today we are still living in the shadow of that first rebellion against God. We live in a place of fear, no confidence, identity crisis. In a place of pure sexual desire between male and female, we now have selfish desire. We just get into these things to make us feel good. We worry about our bodies. Instead of happily accepting who we are, instead of caring for each other, we put one another down. We use sex to bargain, to negotiate. So sex becomes something that is used for, num- for, num- for manipulation, for control, and not keeping a husband and wife together. And this is all because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Here's the good news. God redeems everything that falls. And he's a redeeming God. And I believe as we explore the scriptures on this topic, we should redeem the sexual act. I'm saying more sex in marriage. Thank you for that, amen. Let's not let the other guys beat us, guys. Come on, let's get busy now. What do you say, hey? Let me show you what the Bible says. I want to go first of all and explore some things with you from the Old Testament. I want to show you the clarity with which the sex act is talked about. Without fear, without embarrassment, as part and parcel of life. We read in the book of Genesis, chapter 26, about Isaac and Rebekah. You remember, Isaac was a son to Abraham. He got married to this lady called Rebekah. So in Genesis 26, here is Isaac with his wife in a place called Gerar. It's a foreign land. And when he got there with his wife, he thought to himself, the way my wife is so beautiful if this king finds out that she's my wife, he's going to kill me to get her. So he decides to lie about it and say, she's my sister. You get the picture? So let's read together. From verse 6. It says, And Isaac dwelt in Gera, verse 7. And the men of the place asked him of his wife, and he said, she's my sister. Why? For he feared to say she is my wife, lest, said he, the men of this place should kill me for my wife. So his wife was a fine woman. Note what he says. because she was a fair woman to look at. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that my wife is a knocker. She's fine. Verse 8. And it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, note, that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out of the window. So, you know, so, so, you know here, Isaac and Rebekah had been there in a long time. Now, they've been staying there in Gera for a long time. So, because he's been there for a long time, wait a I can say because English is He forgot himself. <laughs> wait So, it says, as the king looked out of the window, note, he saw and beheld Isaac. He was spotting his wife, Rebekah. Keep that verse there. You know, I... This is a very interesting way how they use the word spotting. I'm being honest with you. I think the translators didn't have the guts to write the right word. I mean, really, I'm sure when they wrote it, they said, how can it? In the Bible, how about you? How can they? So they decide to use the word spot. He saw him spotting his wife. Haibo. What does it mean, spotting your wife? How do you spot your wife? How do you spot your wife? Well, that word spot is very interesting. Is in some Bible translations. They translate it laughing. They saw him laughing with his wife. Hang on now. Now, hang on. Oh, oh. the Bible says the king, when he looked out, he saw them spotting. And he said, no, man, this this person is not his sister. He's his wife. Now, hang on now. If they were laughing, how do you jump to that conclusion? Okay. But you see, I'll tell you what happens, what goes wrong with us. You see, the religious mindset doesn't have the courage to admit what God is saying in his word. So even the translators, they don't want to put the right word there. They'd rather say sporting, laughing, joking. I mean, if I'm joking with another person, how do they say she's my wife? We're just joking. But that word sporting, watch this now, is translated properly in the Amplified Bible. It says in the Amplified, and he saw Isaac caressing Rebecca, his wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not the sister. That's not how a brother and a sister must act. The Message Bible is even more graphic. It says he saw Isaac fondling his wife. Oh, no, 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 ne. But you see, it's because it was normal and healthy for couples to relate like this. There's nothing wrong. They're godly people. They're serving God. There they are, they're sporting. But isn't it strange today? You find married people not sporting. But the sporting people are the one who go to Maponya Mall and they're not married to each other. We are not told how far Isaac went. All right, we don't know how far his advances went. I'm sure that he didn't go all the way. I'm almost sure of that, but he was caught fondling his wife. Meaning, it was permissible in these days for husband and wives to sport. Right in Genesis, before it, right where the Bible starts. Yeah, right. Long before 2016. Back then, Mandulo sporting was accepted So you know it's amazing when religious people want to remove this hey oh, don't talk about it Ooh, because am yeah, <laughs> The book of Proverbs is an interesting book. I wanted to go to chapter 5 with me. Because the book of Proverbs is written by what the Bible calls uh, these are wise men. Sages they call them. And how it's written is like a father or a mother giving advice to their child and giving them wisdom for life, talking to them. And it's very interesting for me to see how this father is writing a letter to his son and he talks about everything. He talks about prayer. He talks about commitment. He talks about faithfulness. And lo and behold, he talks about sex. And he doesn't use symbolism. We are kulumanji. Let's read together, if you have the courage. Verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Verse 2. That you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. Verse 3. For the lips of an adulterous drip honey. Let's leave that one alone. Let's go down to verse 18. Verse 18. It says, let your fountain be blessed. (laughs) and rejoice with the wife of your youth. That's graphic. Yeah, in the same Bible you have. The same Bible. The same Bible. Open it if you're not sure it's there. Proverbs five eighteen, 18, didn't, I didn't bring another Bible. It's the same one. And you know that word fountain is euphemism. That, that speaks of the female organ. Yeah. He says, let your fountain be blessed. Then he says, what? Rejoice. That word rejoice is an interesting word. Literally, it means cheer up. Because the sex act cheers you up. Yeah, that's why we'll be in there afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, you go to bed, you're feeling so good. Ooh. See, that's why even with people who are in boxing, you know, you know, when they're going to have a fight, they tell them no sacks for 3 weeks. No sacks, 3 weeks coffee, hey. So maka ngena lapha kwatile lo muntu, uh. Unolaga. Uh. Unola, uzokshaya. Uzokushaya. No, 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 no. It it's, it's a true fact. They tell us in medical science that when, 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 when men and women experience an orgasm, there is a release of a hormone called serotonin. Serotonin is the feel good hormone. It makes you feel good. Yeah. So, unfortunately, couples use their sexual act to bargain with each other. And by Alwanjal, not understanding that if you we were just to be faithful, then the fighting would be much less reduced. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> verse 19. The verse 19 is even more. It says, As a loving heart and a graceful door, let a breast satisfy you. Oh! Oh! This is too much. It says, be accelerated how often? How often? Once a week. Hey! That word accelerated means to be ravished. One translation. And that word ravished or accelerated means to go astray. Namaya was Akshayatingto. Yeah, it's in the Bible. It's all in God's word. Yeah. Yeah. And because of flawed teaching, flawed theology, yeah, and we don't want to face what it says, so people don't really understand God created sex to be a good thing. And people who are married should be enjoying it. Okay, you thought that one was bad. Let's go to Songs of of Solomon chapter (laughs) 4. I see, you know, you are not ready for this. I told you it's in the Bible. You were, you were looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. I got you now. I'm reading you the very Bible you have. Songs of Solomon, chapter 4, from verse 1. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear for... This is a lover talking... To his beautiful bride. Behold thou art fair my love. Next verse. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. Hey, hey let's have it in the new American standard Bible. <laughs> I can almost hear some of you are going to get married looking at this. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep. i for going I tell you. Can I have the New American Standard Bible, please? The King James Bible is very interesting. Let me have the New American Standard Bible. All right. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn eaves which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and no one among them has lost her young. Let's keep going. Next verse. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Yeah, this is a guy talking to his lover. Your temples are like a slice of Oh, well my goodness. Next verse, verse 4. I'm starting to feel I'm starting to feel afraid for some of you. because the way to new bishop No, I'm just reading the Bible, that's all. Your neck is like the tower of David built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields. Next verse, verse 5. Talks about the breasts. I, I won't read that one. Just look at it. <laughs> you look at it and read it. I won't go read it. Verse 6, it says, uh, no, no, go to verse the previous verse, verse 5 first. It says, uh, what? what, yeah, next verse, it says, <laughs> until the cool of the day, when your shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of mirror, to the hill of frankincense. Oh, this mountain mirror, whatever frankincense, it's not talking about... No, no, no. This brother is bad. <laughs> I tell you. Isn't it amazing that even our Lord Jesus Christ uses the example of sexuality and puts it side by side with prayer? Yeah, yeah. I told you. You see, we read the Bible with religious spectacles on. So we, 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 we weed out certain things, we move them and act like, no, they were not there. In Matthew six, 6 I want it in the King James Bible before you give me another translation. There. <clears throat> Jesus says, but you when you pray, enter into your what? I can't hear you. Enter into your what? Enter into your what? Enter into your what? Note what he says. He says, and when you have shut the door, note closet, shut the door. Then he says, pray to your father which is in secret. Note closet, shut the door, secret.
1: No, 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 no. Is there, is there a, a, a fundan?
0: Close it, shut the door, secret. How can so? How can you? Then he says, and your father which is in secret. He will reward you openly. Now, the word closet is an interesting word. The translators didn't have the courage as well. The closet is actually the bridal chamber. Or in our current language, we talk about a honeymoon suite. How? Jesus takes the honeymoon suite, puts it here, and puts prayer here. How do you draw a parallel between sexuality and prayer? How does God, sexuality, cross it, all those things, you say them all in one breath, Jesus, and you don't even blush, and you are Shumayla on top? That's because, remember this, the sexual act in its highest form, in its purest form, speaks of and designates our relationship with God the Father. Now, it may sound like we are, being, we are not being religious here, but you see, when a bride and a bridegroom get into the sexual chamber and engage in the sexual act, it's a life-giving experience. If the ready conception happens, they get children uh, get conceived, and it becomes an experience that's exhilarating that is life-giving. When we come into prayer, we conceive God's vision we link up and connect with God spirit to spirit like they are connected body to body. Now why is God so, you know, he is so selective he says you can't just do this with anybody anywhere, anytime. He says because it's a holy thing that speaks of my relationship with my people. Note what God says. God says, if he says to them he says to the children of Israel, listen, you must have only one God because if you don't have one God, if you have other gods, it's almost like now that you are cheating on me. He says the same thing with the sex act. So our relationship with God is such a sacred, life-giving experience. It's something that, you, that is to be held with honor, with integrity, with purity. And the, the sex act is the same as well. As a matter of fact, back to our scripture, it says the marriage bed is honorable. The word honorable means to be esteemed. And when it talks about the marriage bed, it's talking about the sex act. God says between a husband and wife, it's esteemed by God as a something good, it remains a sacred experience. Why? Because it's God's ordained, it bonds a couple, it insulates people against cheating. But here's the question, how do we keep our sexual purity? I want to close with that. Number one, commit yourself to God and submit yourself to God's word. Make that choice. God would never tell us to live sexually pure lives if it was not doable. He knows it's it's tough, but he still tells us to do so. Present your body as a living sacrifice to God. That's the number one thing. Number two, avoid environments that are going to arouse your feelings and leave you hanging. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, sometimes we bring ourselves into environments that stimulate us so much. And then people wonder why they ended up going all the way. And so if people don't have commitments about, say, this I won't do, this I won't do, this, this, way I, this I won't go, this I won't go. Number three, ask God for his grace and his help and his mercy in your life. Number four, strengthen yourself through the word of God and ask God to help you by the power of his spirit to, be, to live in a way that will be honorable to him. And in conclusion, if you're husband and wife, make sure that you don't allow yourselves for a door of temptation to come. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses the subject of marriage. And he says to both husband and wife, render to your partner their due benevolence, what's due to them. And he says, avoid trying to get even with one another, lest Satan tempt you. I believe that if we could submit ourselves to what the Word of God has to say, at the end of it all, we can live much, much better lives. I saw something recently that struck me. It was on another program. And it was this person who, the way they had lived their lives, I tell you, they, they had no boundaries whatsoever. Whatever came to them, they did it, they did it. And you know, they were quite elderly now. And they were actually talking about the regrets they have. And it really struck me, the way this person spoke at length about their indiscretions in the area of sexuality and how they handled their lives in a way that was dishonorable. And then they said, you know, I'm riddled with so much guilt, have so much sorrow, I feel so rejected, I feel so alone. And unfortunately, in their case, they had even contracted some diseases. And then they said, you know, I look at my life, i really wasted my life. And this person said... I wish somebody could have spoken to me. You know, I was shocked and I thought, you'd think people don't want to hear about it. And maybe for some of us who are here today, it could be that this message, he let us as it may seem, God is speaking to you. God is just trying to spare you from the pain and the hurt that is to come. And for those of us who have had bitter experiences and we've grown up now, let's be truthful with our young people. Let's, let's tell them. Let's talk to them. Let's talk to our children. Let's talk to them. And let's help our kids and help our young people. Because it's very obvious the way we're going. It really is going to cause a lot of heartbreak and a lot of problems. Sometimes I think about it, Basalana, that we as Adults, we can just selfishly say, as long as we must totally looked on, You know? So now I get a child and, and then I don't father the child. I walk away from the child. Every child wants to have a mother and a father. Yeah. We put our children into situations that are so difficult for them to deal with. And they have to grow up in a situation where the mother is absent or the father is absent. Well, if it's someone has passed on, it's another thing. Or where well, we don't want to take care of and take responsibility over our deeds. And some of you, some of us men, I just see that, you know, we live a certain life, and then we want to dump everything and leave everything behind as though we don't have a history. So we want to say, no, all things are new. <laughs> Ay Baba, no. No, 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 no. Do the honorable thing. Particularly now that you say you are a follower of Christ, do the honorable thing. Yeah. Take care of your children. Yeah. There's no need to yoboshiwa. And court cases must come because of you. And now that you say you are a follower of Christ, show those children how a follower of Christ owns up to their actions. Yeah. And that though things may not have started well, you'll try to be there for your children. Do your best. No matter how difficult it is, do your best. You know, one of the things that always strikes me is when I hear people give testimony of the difficult background they had. There's a story, you know, that I heard recently, and it so touched my heart. This particular couple. Where they took in these children who had lost their mother at a very young age. And I honor this man, you know, because this man, him and his wife decided to take care of these children and, and thank God for men like these that he, he was enough of a Christian and, and enough, had enough values not to tamper with those girls. But these girls grew up having a father figure in him. What about young boys who grow up having a mother figure? So these young girls grew up and I'm so glad you hear about the progress in life. Several of them are married now and they've got established careers. They've moved on in life. See, the good thing about God, Bazan, is that it doesn't matter how bad we start. Our God is a redeeming God and He's a restoring God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we all have done things here. Yeah. We, we all have skeletons in our cupboard. We all have all kinds of things. We all have issues, but the good thing about God is that He's a redeeming God. Yeah. But He wants us first to be honest with Him. Say, you know what, God? Here's my broken life. I can't fix it. I can't change what I've done. I'm sorry. Some of it I did it with my eyes open, but I'm owning up. All I can say, God, is that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Will you give me a fresh start? That's what God wants to do to all of us. No matter what it is that we've done, the good thing is that God's not going to tell your issues to anybody else. His love is a love that is able to cover a multitude of sin. It's a kind of love that embraces you no matter what your background is, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. That's the kind of God he is. I'm going to pray now. And as I'm about to pray, I ask you, where you are, think about your life. This is not a message to judge anybody or to say anybody is better than any other person. But to say to all of us, here is what God says. What do we say about it? Bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you have come in this place. Maybe this is your first time and your first visit. Or maybe it's not your first visit. But as you've been sitting listening to the word of God. You can tell that really God wants to bring about a change in your life. You want to invite Christ into your heart and say you know what Jesus. Here's my life. Here's my life. Will you change me? Will you make me a different person? Will you give me a new start Jesus? I've tried in my own strength to fix things in my life but I failed. But I know you don't fail. You don't fail. If you're here today, say, you know what? I need prayer. I want to invite Jesus into my life. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand, please, right where you are? I want to pray for you. Just raise it up, right where you are sitting. Just raise it up. Thank you for those hands. All over this place. Thank you for those hands. This is what church is about. It's a place where we can come. We can come to and have an encounter with God. An encounter that puts our life on a different trajectory altogether. An encounter that lifts us up and puts us on a different path. You don't need to be ashamed or afraid because this God is a loving God. And all of us, many of us, we've had to start somewhere by admitting and saying, God, here I come. I want to ask those of you who raised your hands, I want to pray for you. Would you please just stand on your feet right where you are, please? If you've raised your hand, would you stand on your feet? You can put your hands down, but just stand on your feet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this place, thank you. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. This is what it's about. It's about a God who changes us. A God who transforms us. A God who does what no one else can do. No church can do it. no, No minister of the gospel can do it. No preacher no bishop can do it only God can do it he's a God who's able to transform it can I hear an amen in the house I want to invite you all please just to walk to the front over here and take your belongings as you come I want to pray with you because this is your special day can you all come give them a big hand please